Welcome to the NatchCast, a podcast brought to you by Natch, an insider's food blog, brought to you by me, Mark Brush, and the other guy. This week on the NatchCast, the John Coltrane of microwave popcorn, and Josh Tyson, the other guy. Who is he? This is episode 001. Begin! So, uh, so this is the part where we start, and, uh, and I ask you, what are you drinking? Because we're not together. We're in separate rooms, in separate cities. Or, well, you're in a cabin, so you're not even in a city. I'm in Tabernash, Colorado, at 10,000 10, feet. I'm short of breath. You're high as a kite. Short of breath. I can barely think straight, but I am going to... Well, you, so, hold on a second. Here we go. Pickens are slim in the mountain cupboard. I'm either going to mm-hmm. drink a caffeine-free Sprite. <laughs> that let's see, <laughs> let's see when this exp- this is a uh, well. It's date stamped April 1998, so that's going to be fine because that can get you through Armageddon. Or, which I threw up on Instagram here, a diet green tea with citrus, Kirkland signature thing. That is like yeah. That thing looked really green. It looked like Mountain Dew. Well, it's it's a. I think the plastic is degrading. I think it's lost oxygen inside the bottle. There's all these dimples in it. But oh, that's one. You should drink that. Yeah, one. I'm gonna drink this. See one. See what it does to you. But this is what gets me, right? This is what gets me about natural. You know, we've got a great ingredient here, right? Green tea. Who doesn't love green tea? But what am I gonna? What else is in here? Uh, natural flavor. All right, sodium. Hexametaphosphate. All right. That sounds good. Aspartame, Josh. God damn it. Blue number one? See, this was back before I think Kirkland and Costco knew what to do with natural and organic. All right. I'm going to drink this. What are you drinking? I have a can of Dr. Zevia, which is uh, Zevia's Dr. Pepper. Um, And this is naturally flavored. This is a a more natural beverage, I think. Um, But so we got carbonated water. Erythritol? Erythritol? Erythritol. 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 Arithmetic. What's erythritol? It's an alternative natural sweetener. It's another... Oh, it's another I was con- expecting this to have stevia. It's another... Oh, yeah. This has stevia extract, too. There's a whole... Uh, Reb A. Yeah, Reb A. There's a whole industry um, trying to unseat high fructose corn syrup with a taste, flavor, stability profile that Americans will drink and eat. So that's See, that's I understand good. that stevia is a natural sweetener, but it still to me has that uh, that kind of artificial diet soda aftertaste to it where it feels like it might be made of styrofoam or Ooh, something. Now you know why. Tell me. <laughs> uh, I, I might get my percentages wrong. You got that's an all natural sweetener. Um, that's Mother Nature right there. It comes from a plant. Oh, yeah. But... I, Wait, hold on. Listen to this. Yeah, that's great audio. Mm-hmm. That's podcast. Better than the blender, right? Podcast, yeah. Um, I think it's like 25% of uh, uh, palates 
register stevia slash stevia. It's another, we got to figure out how to pronounce these words when we do podcasts. Um, they register it as bitter. And so mm. some... Oh, just like some people when they eat cilantro, they taste pennies. Yeah, there's an aftertaste to it. And so there's, there's, there's you know, a lot of research dollars being poured into eliminating that to blending different natural sweeteners. Oh, we got to we got to do a podcast. Research dollars, that means science. Yeah, we're going to oh. That means they're trying to genetically modify stevia, doesn't it? No. Maybe. Yeah, just saying maybe. <laughs> never know. You never know. I wouldn't put it past them. But um, mm. you know, you know what you, we should give a shout out to Zevia though too for being one of our Twitter followers unless We've had a rash of unfollowings. Oh, yeah, but, so. but they're not a sponsor. If we've, we need, well, if, we'll see if they come through with a sponsorship. Yeah, we'll put that back in if you guys sponsor, all right, Zevia? <laughs> right. But I tell you what, if you do sponsor this, Zevia, I am enjoying the hell out of this Dr. Zevia. I, uh, yesterday, I drank two of them. It was like I was a kid in a dorm room. <laughs> I don't know. Fresh out of my parents' house, just treating myself, just going bananas. I drank two Dr. Zevias. I don't know what a Dr. Zevia is. This is like a can of... It's like their approximation of Dr. Pepper. Yeah, okay, good. All right. It also has monk fruit extract. There you go. The That's what I was going to say. That's my – I'm pulling for monk fruit in the big alternative sweetener battle. Mainly because in order to get it right, you have to concentrate mm-hmm. – got to concentrate the magricides. Yeah. That, okay. When you concentrate the magricides, you can get the right taste profile and get the cost down so much – that this thing can be competitive. And I wrote that sub-headline on a story one year, many years ago, and I've wanted to say it ever since. So there you go. Congratulations. You're welcome. Well, so this Dr. Zevia is really just like a battleground in a can because we have three different natural sweeteners jockeying for uh, sweet supremacy. Yeah, you bet. That's the smart, the smart, the smart brains in alternative sweeteners know it all. It's all, all in the blend. You got to get that blend right. Don't, don't put your eggs in one no, basket. I can't believe this thing has zero calories. This can has zero calories. That's I don't like that, though. Everything should have some calories. Yeah, it just doesn't seem right. What's that? I mean, yes, some of these things should have. Calories. How do you extract? What can you extract from a monk fruit without ca- you getting any calories? How are you not capturing calories? Yeah, uh, you know, concentrate the magricides, like I said. I bet there's point zero one calories in this thing. I hope so. Everyone who's listening to this probably knows who you are because you're... Not internet famous, but uh, natural food world internet famous. I mean, you're a kingmaker. Let's start there. Let's talk about. I beg to differ. Mark Brush Kingmaker. Mm, no. How did that come about? I don't want. Yeah. Really? All right. Uh, well, we don't have to. I don't, I, you're just fun to embarrass. That's yeah, all. Yeah, I'm a little embarrassed right now. Put on the spot. Yeah, a little bit embarrassed. No, you don't need to be. No. You should be proud of yourself. Okay. You're a hard worker. I try. And so bright. <laughs> well, let's do it this way. You and I, they want to know who you are. Everybody says, who's Josh? So why don't... Well, I could explain who I am by way of explaining how we met, probably. Why don't we do that real quick so people know who they're listening to? Okay. Well, I'll start a little bit before we met because, you know, I went to school, got a journalism degree, and then moved to Chicago. Moved from Denver to Chicago. Was a freelance writer there, a uh, magazine feature writer, uh, covered art and film and music beats for a few different magazines. And I was also driving a, a van for a senior citizens center part-time. That's right. Uh, it was actually a center that served mentally ill senior citizens. So I would pick them up in the morning from their houses and bring them to this place where they'd hang out. And 
uh, engage in therapy activities and play games and watch movies and eat lunch. And then I'd go to a gallery, go cover my beat, whatever, do some writing, then come back and take them home. Uh, before that, I'd been a valet, so, so not very glamorous work, but it was good. I was cutting my teeth, getting a lot of writing done, kind of chasing the Nelson Algren, Bukowski demon, trying to get a lot of weird experiences to write about later, whatever. A lot of them with cars. And then my wife and I, what's a that? Lot of, a lot of car-based experiences. Driving, yeah. yeah. And, and well, the bus that I drove for the Senior Citizen Center was a large bus. It was like a 16-passenger Econoline 350 Ford bus with a wheelchair lift. Um, you need a commercial license for that? It was a, nope, nope. It was just under the requirement for a commercial license. Okay. I did have to go through some training on how to use the wheelchair lift, though, and how to strap people in. There were these special seats in the back. Um, so that was that was fun. Or whatever. And then my wife and I decided we, we were either going to move to New York or move back to Denver because we wanted to have kids. So we decided to move back to Denver. Aww. My wife got pregnant almost right away. Yeah. I think while we were in Costa Rica, we took a little break in Costa Rica. And then. That's enough. So she was pregnant. And I didn't have a job. And, you know, the freelance stuff I was picking up was paying pennies. I was really in a dark, despairing place. And so then I got an interview with this uh, advertorial fine dining magazine called Dining Out. And who should interview me but Mark Brush and a, another wonderful person named Cara Hopkins. Um, but I think it was the first job interview I'd ever had where I felt like the, like the people who were talking to me really understood me a little bit. And we clicked. Uh, there was like a couple weeks where I didn't know. And then you called me or you sent me an email asking if I could come back to the office. And you said that you'd make it, you'd make it worth my while or something. It was, it was a little vague. <laughs> It didn't necessarily say that I'd got the job, but you're like, I think I can make it worth your while. Sounds like me, right? Like, wow. I, yeah, it, it was infuriating, but exciting. And, and then I got offered the job and we worked together for, for maybe a year. Just a year. And then, huh. I think so. We moved offices. We moved. We had a lovely office on the Johnson & Wales campus in East Denver. And then we got kicked off campus, some sort of tax problem. And then we ended up moving, relocating to the basement of a condo building that was owned by one of the, the founders of Dining Out. And so yeah, it wasn't long. It didn't take you long. You looked around, saw that we were in these terrible little basement offices, uh, and you split. You quit. Yes. Real ballsy, too. No prospects. You were just like, fuck it, I'm out. <laughs> it's a recurring uh, theme in my life. Things got dark. And I, I think I started freelancing for New Hope at that point. And started or that's sort of my first taste of natural products. We should tell for new listeners, natural products is pretty much just what you think it is. It's all of the foodstuffs um, that are labeled natural or organic or non-GMO or have some sort of health angle. Um, it's the industry of making the, the, those products. And so I think some people when they hear natural, they kind of get it, but there is a whole industry built around this. And it's sort of a subset of food, but it's the fastest growing piece of food dramatically. It's all, I mean, a lot of people are beginning to think that the whole food industry kind of just shifts into that. Um, you stop making synthetic things as much as you can. And, and so that's what we're talking about. You're th it's like organic yogurt. Um, it can be functional ingredients, like when you bake some sort of health thing, like an omega-3, you put that into a waffle or something. Um, Non-GMO is big. Supplements, dietary supplements are a big part of the natural products industry. 
is think about these sort of health food stores that began to flourish out of Woodstock. I always go back to Woodstock for this stuff because it seems very contrarian, right? Sort of um, countercultural. We're going to do things our own way. Forget the bureaucracies and the systems of big business. Um, so all that's baked into the spirit of natural products. And anyway, that's that's has nothing to do with what you were asking me about, which is during that time when you were still at Dining Out, I started freelancing for New Hope, um, which is all about natural products. And that led to... And we could mention, too, that you ended up at New Hope because Kara uh, Hopkins, who also worked with us at Dining Out, that's right. she left Dining Out and went to New Hope. A lot of people have gone to New Hope. It's very incestuous. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And second kid came, I said, let's get a job and benefits. And I loved that topic. So uh, I was fortunate enough to get a position there. And I ended up as, I think I was, I was editor-in-chief. I don't remember the titles. Editorial director. I don't know. So it was a thing. I, I, was the, I was the editor in charge of a publication called Nutrition Business Journal which is sort of this insider's guide to natural products. And the, the subscribers were CEOs of food companies, and they'd, ra- they'd run the gamut from uh, you know, somebody you would associate with natural products, like Annie's, uh, to big shots at Pepsi, who wanted to understand the food trends happening in natural. And out of that, did a bunch of speeches, did a lot of research and consultative-type work, um, became a kingmaker yeah that happened oh yeah <laughs> um and i can i still can't live that down um but uh, eventually <laughs> uh, yeah eventually i got it restless there as well and wanted to do something of my own volition and so that's what i'm doing now and that's how we've come back together on natch yes and, and i should say that i i left dining out uh, I think three years ago almost, and I've been working, I've been running a magazine called UX Mag. So I've been in the tech sphere, steeping myself in experience design, uh, which kind of like natural foods is a very broad, nebulous realm where, uh, I, I mean, I, maybe it's not like this in natural foods, but where not, I mean, everyone's interested in the same things, but not everyone speaks the same language. Not everyone understands the landscape in the same way. Right. It's kind of ill-defined. A little confusing, but super hot, just like natural foods. Everyone, everyone's into experience design right now. There's a lot going on. Well, let's bring them together. Have no interest to anyone listening. What's no, that? No, of course. Food. Well, we can bring it together. I mean, just for for example, I'll, I'll uh, I'm going to plug Quinn Popcorn here too because uh, I think I, I didn't realize it was a Boulder-based company. I bought a box of microwave Quinn Popcorn in in Los Angeles, and opening it up. I was immediately reminded of uh, Nest Thermostat, which is uh, considered a really big win in the realm of experience design for multiple reasons. I mean, the interface on a Nest Thermostat is incredibly intuitive, and it's not fussy at all. I mean, there's really just, you kind of spin the, the casing of it to, to select, to make menu selections, and I think you just press on it to, to secure your selection. But the, the thing that reminded me of Quinn Popcorn is that when you open up a Nest thermostat. We actually wrote an article about this in UX Magazine called Unboxing Nest. But when you open up the Nest thermostat, right away, uh, you're guided through every step of opening and unpackaging it and setting everything up out so that you can install it yourself without hiring an electrician, uh, which is kind of a cool feeling. Uh, and it's it kind of gets to the nut of what a lot of experience design is about, which is making people using your products feel rewarded 
and empowered in a sense and giving them a memorable experience that's also has a really short on-ramp. So, uh, you know, Quinn, Quinn Popcorn did this, a similar thing because when you open it, I mean, it's microwave popcorn, so it's not as complicated as a thermostat, but you have the bag with the popcorn, and then there were two seasoning packets marked one and two, meaning you put one on first, shake it, and put the second on and shake it. And all the instructions were very uh, just direct and deliberate and easy to follow. And, and even though it was just making microwave popcorn, it was a rewarding experience. Although they still, and I, I don't know that ever, anyone will ever be able to fix this, probably due to the different voltages on microwaves, but that problem of not knowing when it's quite done, you know, you're supposed to <laughs> listen till there's two seconds between pops, but you never know, like, cause you, you, you'll hear a pop and then maybe three seconds will pass, but then you'll hear like six or seven pops. And then you, you wonder, do I count that three second those damn gap? Pops. When should I start counting? Yeah, those pops. And then inevitably you end up with a little bit of burned popcorn, yeah. but. But life isn't perfect. But still, even, even though I burned a bag of it, it was still very good popcorn. I think it was maple. Yeah, well, that's. Vermont maple or something. Shout out to Quinn. So Quinn was in Boston. They've moved to Boulder within, maybe it's been a year. Um. Christy and her husband, whose name, Coulter? Ah, God, see, I'm so bad with names. Colton? Poultice? Coltrane? <laughs> Coltrane. I think it's Coulter. I had, I had drinks with him a month or two ago. He's a great guy. Uh, but you're exact. I, th- I think this is another interesting topic, maybe for a later podcast, maybe this podcast right now, that... Hey, we're flexible. The, Blade of grass. You know, there's this... As the natural products, the healthy food world gets bigger and more people pay attention, they got to look better. You know, they got to look, they got to compete with mainstream products on packaging and design. And so you're getting some, tends to be younger entrepreneurs, right, who are Mm -hmm. baking in design elements into their products. And Quinn springs to mind. They're great. You should see their booths at the trade shows. They're they're very, um, I think that's Oh, I saw that picture. It was really nice. It looked kind of like a little diner. Col- or something. Coltrane does that. Yeah, that's Coltrane, I think. Um, and I'm also thinking of Back to the Roots, who was kind enough to send us that cereal. And as soon as we get the video camera going, we're going to product review that shit because it's good. I liked it. The kids are going to like it too. Well, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. But so that's that's this sort of intersection of sustainable products, healthy food for you, but they, they're bringing in like this Apple design element into everything they do. And they very, um, attentive to every little, every little moment of their brand experience. And so I think these things are very complimentary. Now you're seeing more, you're seeing design agencies starting to contract a little bit because big companies now, instead of hiring these agencies are realizing there's so much value in the processes and tenets of experience design, we should have in-house teams doing this. But on the flip side, uh, right? So there's a little battle going on there. Yeah. And then the other problem is, like, if, if you have experience design being done in a vacuum within a company, it's it'll die. It, it has to, in most cases, it needs to be something that is understood company-wide because any touch point across any company can become a point where that company interacts with a customer or a user. What are you talking about? Companies baking UX design into what? companies? Ah, oh, Jesus. It's called customer. Well, it's like That's, customer experience, user experience. Oh, yeah, no, I dropped my green tea. Hold on. Oh, I didn't even. I was going to ask you if you were drinking it. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, my arm is stuck. Oh, my God. Oh, no, the plastic. 
Coming back. My word, are you okay? Keep rolling. I think we got to keep that in. That's my best Bill Burr impression. All right. Oh, that did say, like, drop my fucking green tea. (laughs) I can't believe you're getting all company company speak about UX. We're talking about changing the world here, Josh. Quinn Popcorn does... Well, I'm talking about that's that's one way that companies are getting with the times. And well, that's great. I, I don't know that it's good for those companies. Analogous to to like GM buying Annie's, but uh, Capital One. Well, f- oh, of, oh, please uh, stop! Stop! A- no Capital! Oh God, you're ruining my podcast. What? <laughs> Do you want to hear this or no? Not? No. <laughs> it's a merger and acquisition story. <laughs> oh God! That's Capital One no. acquired this. No. Super nope. successful and nope. popular and influential nope. agency called Adaptive Path. Nope. They brought Adaptive Path nope. in as their basically their in-house. I'm gonna shoot myself. UX team. Okay. Look, at- dude. I mean, it's really might not be all that all that much different from what Annie's trying to do at General I'm Mills. I'm sure it's not. The stakes, the stakes are probably a little different. I hear it, but uh, and certainly lower in context of what we're talking about. But but my real point is, we were talking about Quinn popcorn, which is like. A husband and wife, and I'm sure their kids are involved. They've got two or three kids at this point, I think, just like us, trying to launch a food brand and bringing, like, you know, that singular vision, just just, just them, of a, a really cool UX experience in food as opposed to mm-hmm. your big fancy Capital One merger shop. Ah. Eh. It's all very similar, though. Their their goals are probably the oh, same. Oh, I, like I like the Quinn the Popcorn wants, wants the experience of... Of opening a box of their popcorn or opening a bag of their popcorn, looking at their logo, reading their story on the back, they want it to correlate to the experience of visiting their website, or seeing, or even seeing their booth at a trade show. In a sense, yeah. uh, and, and that's really. I'm just talking about the power of the in a, individual. In a nutshell, what Capital One probably wants help with is they want they want the experience of visiting one of their branches to feel very similar to using their ATM. Or one of their ATMs, or visiting their website. Well, then here's my question to you. And it's all very abstract, and it's it's hard to figure out when it's working or how to make it work. Yeah, so you you got one egg. That's all I'm saying. You got, a, you got one egg. You get to put it in one basket. Easter edition of the podcast. I just made it Eastery. You got one egg. You put it in a basket. You're going to put it with Coltrane, or you're going to put it with Capital One. What do you? What's the egg? What? <laughs> the egg what do you mean are you asking me to are you asking me to tell you which one i think is better or cooler yeah <laughs> oh well i mean i i'm we are scrappy folk you and i that's good i'm definitely more smitten with what quinn's doing but you have to realize that uh it's it's it's, it's a bit of a movement oh. we like to say that we're living the, in the experience economy yeah. you know companies aren't just selling goods and services anymore they're trying to create yeah. experiences yeah. that you know Oh yeah. Speak to their value in some other Experiential way. Experiential advertising. That's a whole nother thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, well we're gonna blow yeah. the doors off it, bro. All right. But I mean the fun thing about experience design that Oh god one of the more interesting aspects. It, it has to do with user research, market research. It's fun stuff. And I, I'm guessing that was probably pretty fun. Or or must be fun as you're developing a new food brand too. Hey, that's how I make a living these days. Market research. All right, see? Yeah. You see how I looped that back in? Yeah, you did. You did a good job, but I don't want to talk about how I make a living. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting to me, now that you mention that, is just from a design standpoint, uh, Bronner's. 
hilarious. That, oh, good point. That it's so successful because that their labels break many cardinal design rules. You couldn't get that label through chief Capital among them just One. Like way too much information. Yeah. Well, no, you probably couldn't. But but I, I think what they I, and I I have no idea if they realize this, but what I love about it, um, I, I, have you have you uh, seen the movie Kingpin? Oh yeah. Just follow. Just stay with me here. You've seen yes. it. So you know that scene where it's after uh, he and his friend, uh, his friend pretends to mug his landlord and he throws the hot coffee in his face and then they meet back in his apartment and he's paying his friend. Right. Because the whole thing was he was going to rescue his landlord and so she wouldn't make him pay his late rent. But anyway, he's like, he says, hey, Roy, Roy, I got a shit. You got something to read? And all Roy has is like a shampoo bottle. So he throws it to him. He's like, head and shoulders, man. No, I read this already. (laughs) But to me... That, that speaks to the genius of the Bronner's bottle because – and I guess we live in an era now where people just bring their iPhones into the crapper and so you're just checking your Instagram feed these days. But, but once upon a time, you know, you, you needed to have something to read while you're crapping and if there wasn't a magazine on hand, you would pick up a bottle of soap you'd, or a bottle of shampoo. You'd read it for – you know, because you needed something to read and Bronner's – you know, that's a, that's a whole storybook there. There's so much to well, read. Well, as I recall – you're, you, you, you own a house now. Before you owned that house, you had an apartment. And I remember going into that apartment, and in the bathroom, there was so much reading material. I mean, there were like elaborate magazine racks built into the wall. You were brazen about yeah. your reading habits on the, on the crapper. Yeah, but I'm saying like, okay, for example, when I, when I would go up to Nicole's grandparents' house, Nicole's mom oh, and grandparents live on top of... They live up in Evergreen, Traveling. and they don't keep magazines in their bathroom. So if I – the few times that I've gauche. had to drop a deuce oh. up there, I'm reading the, the bottle, the liquid dial bottle. <laughs> so I'm just saying when you're, that's an added bonus. You know what else you're saying? You're saying that social media is a direct competition, is in direct competition to the Bronner's label. Check my feeds. You know what they should do? Oh, right, this is it. Bronner needs to create an app. Right? That all it does is, Ooh. yeah, yeah. Just, it's, it's just a feed of their labels that you can read on your phone while you're on the crapper. Well, yeah, and they've clearly run out of room on the label, so they, that's where they could put some of the runoff. Yeah, this is... Surely there's other spiritual or, like, enlightening nuggets that they could share. Oh, no pun intended. If, if only they had more space. Yeah. This is gold. we got to get this to a... Yeah, I, th- I think they'd like that, too, because... David Bronner... They strike me as a company they would appreciate. Adam, yeah. They would, you know, they'd appreciate the, the, the wonderful fullness of a good I, bowel movement. <laughs> well, that, that wasn't where I was going. Especially when it's accompanied <laughs> by enlightening reading. I'm just thinking that that iconic label, right? It, it, such a mess, such a beautiful mess. It but is. it survived the competition of the weekly magazine and the monthly magazine. If, if it can still get read in a bathroom despite those magazines – then it's probably going to be okay in the social media area, era too, even if you're throwing uh, Instagram. We are, we are assuming that that is their end goal. <laughs> right, that that they, they want to be the most read label in the bathroom. <laughs> well, we'll have to get them on the podcast too, and then we can tell them about this wonderful app idea. Oh, speaking of, of weird food labels, so what was it, Garden of Eaton? <laughs> we, we covered it in the magazine, but those kale chips. I bought those kale corn chips. I didn't. You know, and I didn't assume that they were just kale. I, I realized that they were kale corn chips, but the picture of the chip on the bag green. is kind of a radiant, you know, oh. incredible Hulk green. A lot of powder on there. 
No, there was no powder in the bag. I opened them and they're like, what? they're just kind of these yellow, barely green chips. I'm saying the label advertised a heavy dust of kale. It didn't. No, the picture on the label to me didn't suggest a dusting of oh. kale. It suggested infusion. Ooh. That they had bonded the corn and the kale. Centrifuge. And the ship was just yeah. green as a result. Didn't deliver though, huh? But it was not to be. Oh. oh. Disaster. Well, it's not disaster, but it's it's bad. It's it's a bad experience design in a sense because you're setting expectations one way. Oh, there you go. When clearly you're not going to meet them. I mean, you're bagging those chips. You know they're not that green. So what happened? Did 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 you think they were going to be greener when you designed the labor? Or are you just trying to trick me into thinking I'm buying a healthier uh, chip because it's green? But either way, you're going to piss people off, right? Well, you're like, why is why is this chip not green? Yeah. And now they've got a WordPress template. Even if it's not because, like, is there? I'm not even worried about is there enough kale in this chip? I'm worried, like, you know, did I get? Did they bag the wrong chips in here? But I could taste the kale. You could taste it. It just doesn't seem doesn't seem worth, you know, the the risk of of misrepresenting your chip doesn't seem worth the the, the collateral damage you're going to cause right. when someone sees a yellow chip. Right. All right. Well, <laughs> there's all this sort of the social entrepreneurialism movement and and that you can buy buy or spend money and create a better world um i I did write about this on the site this week uh when we were talking about what was that name of that restaurant core kitchen their kickstarter 100 100 Mm -hmm. produce right and it's kind of like the more I, i wonder this the more energy we spend on creating these bridge solutions i call them bridge solutions sort of a healthier. Is that your own term? Well, no. Uh, okay, sure. Wow. <laughs> uh, health, healthy, a healthier chip, a better for you, a better for you mac and cheese, right? Um, all of that stuff. The mission behind all of that is, you know, healthy food. You're gonna, we're gonna through mm-hmm. food, we're gonna create better uh, health for you and for the planet. But it's kind of like we all kind of know we should just eat fruits and vegetables. We should just eat fruits and vegetables. It's unbranded. It's the periphery of the store. It's Michael Pollan telling you to do that. It's stuff his grandma would recognize. It, I, the more energy we spend on these bridges, it's kind of like, I, why don't we spend some of that energy just on the fruits and vegetables and salad crap? Let's just eat that. But nobody wants to do it. Why won't they do it? Yeah, see. Jeff's choice. Nicole works late almost every night, so I, I cook, cook all our meals. And I got to tell you, actually, since we've discovered that Arius, our youngest son, is gluten free or needs to be gluten free. It, I, we're eating. I find that we're eating more processed foods, Ooh. especially frozen pizzas. I used to make pizza dough all the time and just make pizzas, but making a gluten free pizza dough is mm. about ten times harder than making a regular pizza dough. Probably like twenty or thirty times harder. It takes way longer, and there's way more steps involved, and it doesn't taste as good. And there are a lot of frozen pizza companies that have really dialed down the... There, there's one. What is it called? It's some... It's got a pun in the name. Immaculate against Baking? Against the Grain. Oh. No, Against the Grain. Mm. Their crust is like buttery and flaky. I'm not going to try and compete with it. But I am going to be a little bummed that I uh, am heating that up instead of making pizza. But isn't it also sort of... Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, there's probably some very um, smart, passionate people making against the grain products and isn't it a wonderful thing that human civilization has advanced to the point where you can just buy that and not have to struggle with making it and that frees you up to do other things like 
check your Instagram feed on the crapper. <laughs> like take a 30-minute dump. <laughs> totally. Uh, I, I think we've knocked this one out of the park. You're going to have to – Oh, you're calling well, you're it? you going to have to ed- – like don't we want to get to a point where you don't have to edit it or do you want to always be editing? No, I'd prefer to not be editing. Yeah, because this <laughs> – I, I think this is – I don't think we're going to have to edit this much. I mean, obviously, we're going to have to edit this out, but... Um, I, well, how long have we been talking? Or we just leave it meta? We've been talking for uh, I'm not sure. 50 minutes. It's too long. Thanks for listening to the Natchcast. It's pretty fun, right? Natch.is. It's where we live. Go there. Read every article that you see. Listen to some music that we've posted. I think there might be some video stuff up there too. Cornucopia of content, just for you.